It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Tradies and builders, power your business with Bunnings Trade Power Pass. It's Justin Marshall and Ricardo Ball with the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run on SCNZ. and only seven times has a team come from behind to win the final. McKenzie picks up a low one. Nankable, nice ball inside to Stevenson. Gets it away to Marawa. And the Chiefs are in. Just the start they wanted in the second half. Oh, and it came from a set piece. And he struck it pretty well. Well, that's a beauty. Tackle had to be made by Goodhue. But now they're stacked up away to the left. And here's Big Peter Gasol, cooler charging up the middle. Ball's been ripped away. And here's a chance for the Chiefs to lead by five. He just keeps the scoreboard ticking over. And it's been piled in there, but it's picked up by Fanga Anuku. So it's still alive. And another ball that Sam Kane who's come through. Another penalty and a yellow card. That, is, that ball was clearly not out. It's between the players' legs. It's near the goal line. It's cynical. Incorrect. The ball has to be past the feet. Well, now they'll have to do it. Offside. Ball not out. Without their skipper. Mistakes under pressure so often decide these big games. Chiefs have done a good job up until now. But they turn it away to the right, and Taylor's in again. The scores are level. The kick to put the Crusaders in front in the final. And that's all it took, didn't it? 
this to give the Crusaders the lead in the final. They come at him, but he drills it right down the middle. Richie Moana. And the Crusaders in front, 22 to 20. Sykes Martin. Uh, it's an ambitious kick. It's not going to have the legs. Uh, the red and black wall standing firm. Mackenzie. Jacobson to the 22. Oh, it's a penalty. First player lifts, holds on. Second player lifts, holds on. Moana. Up go the flags. And the Scott Robertson dynasty ends as it began in triumph. Crusaders champions yet again. Yes, terrific, tense, absorbing. What a Super Rugby final. 25 points to 20, but it's all said and done. It's business as usual. The might of the Crusaders getting up and beating the Chiefs 25 points to 20. Perhaps the big difference, discipline. For 28 minutes of that game, the Chiefs played with just 14 players. We are going to analyse that over the next couple of hours. We are going to open the lines. You can have your say as well. Mark Watson and alongside of me, all black great Crusader great Justin Marshall. Good afternoon to you, Justin. Welcome. Good afternoon, uh, Watto, and good afternoon to everybody joining us this afternoon. Um, We're there. We've done it. The final's been played. We've got a winner and... Many people are probably thinking, oh, my God, it was them again. <laughs> yeah, they just have a knack, don't they? And I'm just, I think the thing for everybody, we're just so damn excited what Scott Robertson might do with the All Blacks because it's just been a simply remarkable uh, tenure that he has had in charge, and that is seven straight Super Rugby victories. Uh, Justin, your, the difference between the two sides, was it discipline? Uh, well, Clayton McMillan, after the game, didn't feel that it helped them but he didn't feel it was a deciding factor. He still thought that they were in the game. I, I'm not entirely convinced that I, uh, I'm on the same page as Clayton on that. Uh, you know, the Crusaders on finals day are hard enough an obstacle to get past, let alone depowering yourself. Uh, now, look, ultimately, discipline comes from pressure, and but also comes from inaccuracy. Now, Anton Lennox Brown's uh, was an accuracy. Uh, Sam Keynes was discipline. Um, so, uh, you know, you've got to look at that in the context of, of how it sits. Um, there was someone else too, wasn't there? Was it um, uh, that went to the bin in the first half? Uh, that? Yeah, so uh, going to the bin was uh, their uh, number eight, Luke Jacobson. Number eight, Luke Jacobson. Yep, sorry, um, people. I just That just slipped my mind. So, and his was also, it was pressure. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's parts of that that mean that you're already under the pump anyway and you and you succumb to that pressure, which means, you know, you're in the fight, yes, but your desperation is illegal. So uh, I don't feel it helped them, um, but there are many other elements in the game where, uh, you know, it was decided, I think, this discipline. It's interesting because reading a lot of Chiefs, the first thing they always bring up is the referee, Ben O'Keefe. A lot of people reckon that he was only refereeing one side um, and he'd scratching at times. But I've got to be honest, Justin, I'm sick and tired of every time we have a major rugby game, we always seem to be talking about the referee. So let's put the, let's get that one over and done with now. What did you make of the performance of Ben O'Keefe? 
I, I thought Ben O'Keefe uh, refereed the game um, to his usual high standard. And, and I, I don't say that at all uh, with my Crusaders cap on. I always try to look at everything objectively. Um, I certainly feel there was probably a couple of decisions that uh, didn't didn't favourably suit the Chiefs uh, that I would concur with. But in general, you're going to get the old one that doesn't go your way. I don't think it was consistent across the 80 minutes. Uh, I, I spoke to Razor after the game, and he said that we had a really good look massively at our first two games, and we felt the breakdown area where we were inaccurate and where they put pressure on us, and equally where they were... Uh, slightly illegal because we were allowed that we were allowing them to be. We really addressed that, and we had a good meeting with the referee about accuracy at the breakdown. That's where the majority of the penalties came, and I just think again it was just really good coaching on his behalf. Uh, I don't think Ben O'Keefe was in any way um, penalising one team more than the other. The Crusaders were just more accurate, and they did their homework in that area. The Chiefs still got some counter arc and went well, but in general. Across the board, I thought um, Ben did a really good job. Uh, he's world-class referee. He's our best referee in the country at the moment. He's going to the Rugby World Cup. I spoke to him after the game. He's going and doing... Well, he's off to a conference in France. He's going to Pretoria for South Africa against Australia. He's a premier referee, um, and it would be very remiss, I think, of any fans out there to say that it was his fault that the Chiefs lost the game. Um, I think their, a lot of their own errors and their ill-discipline and their game plan as well let them down on the night. Uh, Cody Taylor just seems to be going from strength to strength. Last year, a lot of people were saying, look, he, I don't think he was playing well for the All Blacks, uh, sort of in and out at times, but what a season he's had. Uh, you talk about your senior players stepping up, Sam Whitelock off the back of an Achilles injury, but Cody Taylor really setting the tone at the breakdown, particularly that ability to turn over and clearly two very good tries. Absolutely. He literally is in uh, the best form of his career. Maybe may all bar a couple of years ago where he was playing really good super rugby as well. Uh, the biggest worry about this, Watto, and, and, and you, you would have seen it yourself and many listeners out there would have seen it, when he entered in off that great super rugby form that he had into the all-black environment, he was half the player. Now, why? Why does that happen? Mm. You know, what, what, what is being said and what is within that game plan that all of a sudden he becomes an insuperior player and he struggles and he struggles for form and he doesn't quite click. That's the worry for me because at the moment he is streaks ahead, uh, you know, in combination with Tauki Aho, two, differently, uh, two completely different players that add real punch to the All Blacks in that jersey. Let's hope that whatever was wrong in the last two years with Cody Taylor within that all-black environment has been rectified and he can carry that form in, into the black jersey. It is 10 minutes after 12. We're just going to sort Justin's line out, but we've got Joey Wheeler, who's going to join us on the programme as well, man who played for the Highlanders, uh, New Zealand Māori representative, was in the stadium last night. Joey, good afternoon. Welcome. Good afternoon, boys. Yeah, hell of a night at uh, FMG Stadium. I cut all last night. I know Marshy, very happy, um, but a lot of 25,000 disappointed fans left FMG Stadium last night. I can give you the tip. Yeah, it was an intriguing final, though, wasn't it? I mean, it had everything. It had that level of intensity. Um, at the finish, you know, 10 minutes to go, you still weren't sure which way it was going to go. So from a neutral's point of view, and I'd imagine uh, that two sets of fans supporting both the finalists. Um, it had a little bit of everything. It was certainly that roller coaster emotionally. Oh, yeah, definitely. It was, it was brutal, and it uh, was played at such a ferocious intensity. 
um, the collisions. We always knew that that part of the game was going to be fiercely contested. And after seeing the Crusaders just demolish the Blues um, through their set piece, their breakdown, um, the Chiefs obviously knew that's where they were going to come. But, man, they still came through the front door. And, you know, when the Crusaders are doing that, and I think their line-out, again, um, dismantled the Chiefs in, in, in important times. They came up clutch, Sam Whitelock, two line-out steals um, at important times to change momentum of the game. Also, their, their mall, two mall tries um, probably could have been three. So that's the Crusaders. They always um, go back to their tried and true. Um, and it seems to be, you know, it's been happening for, what, seven years on the trot now, but they just do it so, so well. They're so, so clinical, and they are ruthless um, in those parts of the game, and we know how important they are. So... Yeah, I mean, I heard Marshy allude to it. The, the discipline of the Chiefs, um, that's, what, that's what let them down. Three yellow cards, it's always going to be hard to beat a world-class Crusader side when you're um, playing with 14 men for 30 minutes of that game. So they did bloody well to um, get so close. Uh, they, they definitely looked, I think, um, the better team with ball in hand. They created a lot more, but the Crusaders, when they get in those areas of the field, they are just so, so clinical and they just make you pay every time. Hey, Joey, mate, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. I know you've uh, had a busy night last night and a travel day today. Um, so on a Sunday, thanks for fronting up. Um, just a generic question first up, mate. Um, it, who are you supporting? Like, is it a South Island <laughs> brothers? Or are you like, I cannot stand him winning another title. Please, Chiefs, beat them. No, he's got a Chiefs tattoo, mate. <laughs> well, no, Justin, as you know, I'm a um, Crusader alumni. I started my career at the Crusaders, yes. three, season there, three seasons there, and played a massive, uh, accumulated a massive six games for the Crusaders. But look, look, I've got a lot of friends still in there that I played with um, at Tasman, you know, when I was finishing off my career, a few of those young boys coming through. So I do have a soft spot for, for the Crusaders still. Um, and, and I, you know, people were asking me all week, who do, who do I... Who do I want to win? Um, uh, who do I think will win? I was saying the Crusaders, but who did I want to win? I, I actually wanted the, the Chiefs to win. Just purely, mate, from a, um, a competition perspective, I just wanted um, yeah. that flavour of um, you know it going to another 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 club, and I knew that it was going to be a sellout. You, you know how passionate and parochial the the Chiefs fans are, and I just thought it going to. You know, if it, Hamilton would have got turned, I'm sure it would have got turned upside down last night anyway. But it would have been on another scale if they had won um, last mm. night. Like, um, so just from a, a competition perspective, I just thought it would have uh, would have been a great storyline, a, a lovely fairy tale. But as we know, there's no fairy tales and um, and, uh, and and rugby. And although there are for, for the Crusaders and, and sending off some of the absolute club legends. So yeah, mate, it was it was a. Uh, it was a, a matter of how you phrase that question to me. Who did I think would win? I always mm-hmm. thought the Crusaders would, but who did I want to? Uh, the Chiefs. So, yeah, I had a foot in both camps, I suppose, mate. I get it. You can come back on the show. Um, <laughs> tell me, uh, your areas of expertise, you've already alluded to the White Lot Retallic battle, which was, was quite fascinating within itself. But this is a bit double-barreled, to be fair, but would really like to get your thoughts on it because I know that you, you do great analysis on it and you look at it. Um, I want to ask you about uh, the performance of Tupu Vai at lock. Um, and equally, uh, I want to ask you about Scott Barrett um, because 
Mate, some 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 of the work rate, the tackles, the energy yeah. that he brings to that position, yeah. and the All Blacks are talking about him possibly playing six. Well, what's your thoughts on where he where he should play? No, oh, mate. Look, I, I think they're definitely those two blokes are, are your perfect hybrid um, of a of a lock and a and a number six of the modern game. What we're seeing is we, I believe, we need that six that's going to. I talk about it all the time, put a bit of fear of God up opposition um, attackers. And I think when Shannon Frizzell's on, we know he can do that. Um, when Tupu Vai is on and Samapeni Finau are on and they're dropping shoulders into blokes, they can do it as well. Scott Barrett, we've always had a, a little bit of a question mark over, I think, his his brutality. Um, there's no question over his, um, his work rate and what he does. I think last night, what we saw, his performance was just uh, phenomenal, mate. Like, mm. some of the shoulders he put in and some of the work he put in, um, not only on the defensive side of the ball, but also on the attacking uh, the attacking front. Those two guys, him and Tupuvai, I think they're the perfect hybrid between the, the two roles. And I, I think I think we've already sort of, they've already alluded to the fact that they, they potentially will look to play Scott Barrett there. And I think they need to with, with Adi Savia being being the out and out eight that they're taking, um, because you need that third line out option just to take the pressure off Sam and Brody. We know how good they are, but what we saw, especially in the Irish series last year, Marshy, was the Irish just took our line out apart defensively, and yep. I think that was just because of a lack of options in that lineout. Um, and obviously Scott was having to call the lineout because Sam was out for the first couple of tests, so. It, it just it, it's another another sort of I guess yeah you, you always want three options inside your line out and it just gives you a, a, um, more opportunity to, to win your own ball so look the performances last night of those two guys I thought were outstanding I haven't had a real good chance you know what it's like when you're watching it live to um, I suppose analyze um, you know deeply their, their those two performances but I thought they were both immense um, and you know Scott just keeps fronting time and time again and, and Tupu Vai we know how talented he is with, with ball in hand and I think that's going to be his real point of difference um, in the future and we know that how important those two guys are going to be not only to the Chiefs and the Crusaders but also for the All Blacks um, moving forward with Brody and Sam both heading offshore after this World Cup so yeah I think we're in, we're in pretty good stead in that position to be honest like um, yeah their performances were were pleasing last night in terms of that real physical, um, that real physical, uh, I guess, edge that we want to see from our, our tight forwards and number sixes. Okay, this question for both of you gentlemen. Um, look, sport at the elite level comes down to less than 0.001%. You go to Olympic Games, you see athletes turn up to their first games and they fail. Four years later, they get it right. Was maybe perhaps one of the differences last night is that the Crusaders, they've been to the big dance, they've been to those big finals. Yes, the Chiefs have played some intense games throughout the regular season, but it's still not finals time. Do you need to learn, do you need to lose one to learn how to win one? Um, good question. No, oh, I don't know. Um, I don't know about that, mate. Like, I think, I think the, the Chiefs were, were, were probably um, primed. Like that, their, their semi-final the week before was, you know, a, a lot tougher than obviously the, the, the Crusaders. But, you know, we hear that all the time. You need to lose one to win one. I think if you look at that game, there were a couple of moments inside that game, which we always knew it was going to come down to that. Um, I guess 
you know, you look at the forward pass just before that didn't get picked up, somehow didn't get picked up by the four wise men um, just before half time. That if the Chiefs had got that, where that, where what sort of momentum that might have brought them into that second half. Um, you then look at, I suppose, the moment um, that they held that they held the Crusaders up on their line. I think it was about the 70 something minute, and I remember we talked about it last night, didn't we, Marshy? Um, yep. That moment there, I thought. The Chiefs have won this. This is that that moment that they held them up. They got a line drop out, and then they kicked back to the Crusaders. I thought that was the moment of the game that the Chiefs are going to win. But I think on the flip side of your question, Watto um, is the Crusaders' their belief. Like I think the Chiefs probably thought, "Geez, we've just repelled them. We just need to back our defence. Our defence has been so good, even with 14 men, we're we're repelling this Crusaders side." But you've got to tip your hat to the Crusaders. They they know how to come up in the clutch and I think that was the difference like the, the Chiefs defence was phenomenal all night um, and you've got to remember that they played you know 50 minutes uh, you know with 14 men for um, 50 minutes of that game so well, I think it's just how good the Crusaders are in those clutch moments and delivering not not so much the Chiefs yeah I, I absolutely agree you know I, I just feel equally though the Crusaders because they are back to back to back to back to back to back to back. They... I think you missed one. I think you missed one in there, Justin. <laughs> Did I? Might Sorry. Might be one more back to back. Yeah. Back to back. Back to back to back to back. They they know their DNA in finals. You know, to me, they were just, you know, yes, it was a tight old struggle, but they were just keeping the Chiefs close enough to them that when they um had their opportunities in that game they'll just exert their pressure in areas that they know that they can bring a penalty a yeah. misdemeanor yeah. or something and just start to squeeze you and, and and you can't do anything about that bar learn how how to cope with that and i'm really surprised that the chiefs slightly changed the way that they were playing when they played them in the round robin games and i whether i wonder whether or not they thought too much into the conditions you know, they've played, I think, their last four games up there in horrendous conditions, driving rain. It was wet again in Hamilton. Yeah, it dried out for the game, but a greasy ball. And they didn't kick half as much as what they've kicked in the last half of the season. Um, and I just feel that they they changed the way that they played. The Crusaders just keep doing what they do. And yet the Chiefs became a slightly different team where they were attacking across the park before that. So... That's just my thoughts on it. Um, but anyway, Joey, uh, just the last question, mate. Um, we're sort of looking now uh, at the rugby championship um, and obviously uh, an all-black side that, that Ian Foster is going to pick. Do you see him being brave, um, making any bold moves? There's only four games before Rugby World Cup, so there's not a lot of time to experiment. Um no, I don't. I just don't think... Uh, well, he's made some brave selection choices um, with that squad, but I don't think that'll reflect in what he rolls out onto the park, Marshy. I would love to see it. I would love to see him, um, because I, I believe that we need um, to, to, I guess, re reinvent how we're playing or reinvigorate how the All Blacks are playing. Agreed. So go back, go back to that um, the, the All Blacks DNA, which is... We're, we're the most skillful um, rugby players in the world, but we don't, and, and we should be playing at the highest tempo in the world, but I don't think we do that for long enough periods of time. And I, I would love to see them 
um, be given a license to do that. And I, I would love, I, I think Damien McKenzie, I'd love to see him and Will Jordan get a crack at, at 10 and 15, just to see those two um, in, I guess, a real high-pressure game, how they... Um, uh, how they go about their, their work, and if and if that translates into a different performance from the All Blacks, because I think what we've seen in the last few years, and you know we know how world class Richie Moiner and Bowden Barrett are, but it, it just hasn't seemed to work. It just hasn't seemed to flow as well as what we would like uh, for, from a from an All Blacks perspective. So I'd love to see them give it a crack, um, whether they will, because like you said, times against them, and they've only got four games. Um, to get it right, but whatever they do, I think they just need to stick, uh, pick and stick with it, mate. Um, as we know, consistency of selection brings consistency of um, of performance as well. So whatever they do, um, they just need to they just need to go with it and back it. I believe, mate. I don't know what your thoughts are. Bang on. I totally agree with everything you said. Bloody hell, we're on the same page on a Sunday. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey. Yeah, it must have, been, must, have been no beer. it must have been the no beers I had last night, you know. And, and no, good old Sky <laughs> know me well, mate. They made me drive back to Auckland, so uh, I've had to stay sober. <laughs> hey, Joey, lovely to have you on the program. Thank you, mate, and great job last night adding a lot of colour. Thank you very much. Cheers, guys. It is 25, Cheers, 26 minutes after 12. You're listening to the... Uh, Bunnings, uh, Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Mark Watson alongside of me, all black, great. Justin Marshall. We'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll get further analysis from Justin because question I still on a lot of people's minds, man. And we're going to talk. You've already heard Justin talk about can Cody Taylor stay at the same level under Ian Foster? And I guess we can ask the same questions about Richie Mawanga. But seriously, man, how does Sean Stevenson only make this damn all-black team as injury cover? I still just scratch my head. We'll have that discussion next. 0800-150811. That is the number a little bit later. Don't phone now, but we will open the lines a little bit later on in the programme. Of course, you can text your thoughts through here on 8833. Yes, it is. The Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Mark Watson alongside of me, All Black Crusader great Justin Marshall. Justin, let's address the elephant in the room because there's been a lot of discussion. And that is around Sean Stevenson. We ask players in this country to stay loyal, not to take the big contracts overseas, stay here, be the best you can be, and you will be rewarded. We've already lost players over the years, the likes of Sean Maitland, uh, Bundy Aki, Jamison Gibson Park, and of course James Lowe. Some of those players have come back to haunt this All Black side. Sean Stevenson, again, absolutely electric. Every time this guy gets the ball, I mean, he's box office. He creates things. Great vision. His ability to feed his outside backs, inside, outside. And yet only in this damn all-black team is injury cover. It's just head-scratching for me. Justin, another really good performance from him last night. It really was. I actually made the comment after the game when looking across all the individuals, you know, uh, who played well. If the all-black selectors are, are watching... Who really stood out and said, you know what, big games, um, I as an individual front and play well. And when I looked across that Chiefs back line, um, you know, I thought Nankerville was solid. I thought Anton Leonard-Brown was his usual self. Uh, McKenzie had his moments, as he will do. Um, but the two that kind of stood out was uh, was definitely um, Imani Narawa and, and Sean Stevenson in particular. You know, they, they really did have very good games and it's no coincidence that uh, Narawa played well because Stevenson was giving him the types of opportunities that a guy like that who's a great finisher needs and uh, you know there, there's no doubt in my mind that every time that he actually 
put his mind to it and decided to have a bit of a dig. Uh, he he didn't nearly he nearly created all the opportunities the Chiefs had. Uh, and uh, what was also really pleasing was when I was kind of keeping an eye on him because I have said that I feel um, he should be selected um, and I should and I feel that he should play fullback because I feel his aerial skills and his defensive work has come a hell of a long way. So I watched that last night. And in the first 20 minutes, I, I think Mitchell Drummond probably box kicked about, I don't know, eight or nine times. Uh, it was a strategy, obviously, that the Crusaders used. In fact, he box kicked from 30 metres out from the goal line at one stage. And pretty much most of the time, there was the odd time where there was a decent contest and Stevenson couldn't quite get there, but that's because it's a good kick and the opposition have done well. He handled that high ball well. So in terms of ticking all the boxes, Watto, he did that, and and it does confuse me why he was omitted and is only there as injury cover when you know you've got some others in there that Foster has used in the past, and I won't be mean and, and single those players out because that's not fair as a former All Black, but you can probably work it out yourself if you're clever enough. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. I'm on the same page. Yeah, well, he's, but, he's, but, he's done enough for but, a couple of Justin, years. Justin, I was going to say, and I've said it during the week, but I find it hard when you talk about the defensive uh, qualities and then you do pick a player like Caleb Clark, who I'm a big fan of. I've seen him come through Mount Albert Grammar School and I've watched him and I'm reasonably close to a Ronnie. But, you know, all yeah. I want is consistency in why players are picked and why players aren't and that the argument you use for one, you need to make sure that, your fear and that goes across all. Uh, look, a couple of other questions for you. Luke Jacobson and this All Black team. Peter Gus, so I call it All Black last year, but he's going to be part of this All Black 15. I guess the concern at times is how do these players look when it is a white hot, intense, very close battle? What did you make of Jacobson? What did you make of Peter Gus, so cooler? In that final last night, did they get the f- go forward? Did they get across the advantage line? Um, it, it, the way we've seen them throughout the regular season. Uh, I certainly feel that in the first instance, Jacobson did. You know, I, I probably think that's one of the better games I've ever seen him play in a physical sense. You know, like I think when the Chiefs, as I alluded to, first half of the season in particular, I thought that they were playing a really balanced game plan. They were prepared to attack, attack from all parts of the field. Uh, it really made the opposition very, uh, I guess, jittery because they weren't sure about where the Chiefs were going to open them up from and what their mindset was. It made them hard to defend. But equally, it creates space because teams aren't sitting back waiting, waiting for kicking game. Um so, yeah, yeah, I, I certainly feel that it opens up the field a bit. And uh, Jacobson's he's good in that regard. But, you know, that's not always the game, the way the game unfolds because some defensive systems like what Ireland and South Africa offer at you really compact and narrow the field. And that's when you've got to be physical and front up. And I certainly th- felt last night he did that. There was times where he blew through the middle of rucks. He put some shoulders on some people last night big time. Um he got over the ball. He was industrious. Uh, his work rate was high. Uh, yeah, I, I certainly felt that he only um, enhanced his reputation in, in a big game. Um, equally, Peter Gasso-Akula, look, he's to a degree playing out of position. His best position is number eight. He, he's a victim of having to slot into a, to a jersey that he can't simply occupy at the moment because he's got a, a, a player that they prefer to have in that jersey at, at the Chiefs. So... He's always going to not be probably position specific as good as what he could be, but 
he he just fights away, doesn't he? He's just he's a good grafter. He's a good player. Um, but yeah, I, I probably think he's sitting where he needs to be sitting at the moment, given he's going to be going away and and uh, where he is in the mix. But Jacobson, I certainly feel. He fronted in a, in a big game. Okay, 24 minutes away from one. We've got Graham. He's phoned in. Who's at the airport waiting for the Crusaders to get off the plane as part of the celebration. Graham, good afternoon. Oh, g'day, Mark. G'day, Justin. How are you? Hey, Graham. Oh, I'm over the moon, as you probably, uh, which is no surprise. Um, yeah, and no, I great victory last night against a tough Chiefs team. I knew I knew it was going to be close, but you know, it's the old story. I, with all the injuries, I, I really, I'm pinching myself with the character and what this coaching group's done. And, you know, I remember when you and Mertz and them went overseas and that was sad and knowing you guys well and now I feel the same way about Razor leaving his coach and um, Ricky Mwanga and Sam Whitelock and the others, there's a couple of others too. So, yeah, but I mean, it's a great it's a great way to go out. It would have been a bit of a, you know, um, a sad moment, really. You know, it's a, great, it's a happy moment too. So I'm just, yeah, I just... I just yeah, great Gra- game. Yeah, Graham, what's the atmosphere like at the airport? Many people there? Oh, there's, there's a lot. Yeah, yeah. Probably about the same amount as last year um, after the Blues, you know, the final win. So, um, and if, if, but yeah, no. Everybody's decked out in their colours? Oh, yes, it's all red and black everywhere. I mean, I, I remember seeing Justin, you know, and the, you know, the <laughs> team knows what it's like when they come back to Christchurch Airport. Well, it's the same with any team, not just Canterbury yeah. or Crusaders, but... Yeah, no, it's a great atmosphere, and um, but it was a tough game last night, and um, <laughs> you know, controversial up to a point both ways, probably. You know, with oh the... look, but but that's rugby, isn't it? I mean, I keep saying it. I don't it go, go at referees. I just think it's so open to interpretation the rules, which is part of the problem with the game. Uh, is everybody oh, um, is. everybody decked out in black and red? And um, what 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 are some of the placards? You don't have things like a cold oh, heart for a hot body or anything like that. Or Auckland sucks. <laughs> no, well, bring well, back Mark Carter. Well, believe me, the le- no, bring back Mark Carter. Yeah, my personal favourite. Not uh, Brian Williams was my favourite Auckland player. <laughs> Going back a bit further with him, but um, but yeah, no, uh, no, there's no. I don't think you're allowed placards now. You know what it's like. It's a bit too different PC now. Back in the day, you used to have you know. Grizz is God or Todd is God. When Todd Blackadder was the captain, then it'd be Razor is God now. But um, yeah, no, no. No, there's no placard, just crusader flags everywhere. But, um, yeah, no, I'm just, yeah, really over the moon and um, just, yeah, just so pleased the boys pulled it off. Hey, Graham, I know what it was like uh, to to go yep. out. Very Sorry? fortunate um, for me to go out and, and having won a final in, in my last match. And you mentioned some of the, the players that are leaving and even, even the likes of Lester Fying Anuku, you know, so young and, and uh, so much that he's done in the Crusaders, particularly in the last two years, but Razor, Sam Whitelock, um, you know, you, you're talking about some, some pretty hefty individuals like Richie Moonga leaving as well. Do you, do you think that that emotion, that fact that those guys will never probably put on a Crusaders jersey ever again, Razor will never coach the Crusaders ever again, it created that desperation that just eventually got them there on a tough night. Oh, I agree. You know, and I was at the part of the final training run on Friday at lunchtime, and um, yeah, it was a, it was actually a melancholy moment because you realise Sam Whitelock and Richie Mwanga and Lester and potentially Jack Goodyear, but it seems like he's going to France. I mean, he's a great. He's been a 
major contributor to all all seven titles under Razor. So um, so he started all final. He might have missed one, but he started at least six, I think. But um, mm. yeah, I mean they're great guys, and I know them well. And yeah, I knew Razor like I did you and um, you know Andrew and the back in the playing days. So I've known him a long time. But that's the end of and his coaching tenure has been just so special in terms his engagement with the public and what he does is just pretty amazing and you can never you can't replace that doesn't mean the team stops going on like Todd Blackadder said on the radio the other night the team will carry on but you know <laughs> there's only one razor as you know you know and um yeah but I tell you what I tell you what he's going to do he's going to actually I think bring a divided country back together when it comes around the All Blacks again and I think we're, oh, all, I I think we're all excited. Hey look Graham I've got to, um, we've got to move on I've got some commercial requirements but look mate yep, I, yep. just congratulations to you, you're, you're a dying breed mate, there's few of you who are that um, oh, yep. you know that just identify so much with a team that, that are that invested, that are so passionate and as I said you're a dying breed but it's what we need to get back to mate and I know how much it means to you and I'm, I'm, you know, and it's people like you that the players do go out for and they do appreciate you tuning up, they do appreciate you tuning up to the airport and being there at every game because at the end of the day mate without the fans, hey we've got nothing have we? Thanks Graham. Exactly. Thank, hey, thanks, guys. Have a good afternoon. 19 minutes Cheers, away. Cheers, mate. Bye. 19 minutes away from one. You are listening to SENZ. This is the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Mark Watson, Justin Marshall alongside of me. Keep your texts coming here on 8833. We've got some good texts. I'll get Justin to address those. Um, and, yeah, we're going to talk Super Rugby. We're going to talk the All Blacks uh, right through to 2 o'clock this afternoon. Former Crusader Daryl Gibson will join us on the programme after one o'clock. You are listening to the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Mark Watson alongside of me, All Black and Crusader great Justin Marshall. Hi, Steve. Yes, good afternoon, guys. Um, yeah, well, as a neutral, what a game. What a fantastic, fantastic game. You just couldn't take your uh, eyes off it. And I just, I just thought at the end of the day, little moments and, you know, probably despite the... The Chiefs having a lot of the play in the second half. I think the Crusaders, once again, only for the 30th time, they've won a playoff game when it's really counted, guys. But, um, you know, is it fair to put them in a conversation as one of the greatest greatest sporting, sporting dynasties in the world? Because you, you kind of look at a lot of the great, you know, if you look at some of the great basketball teams, the Chicago Bulls, the Boston, Boston Celtics, the Manchester United, a lot of those players had a core of players who had longevity. If you look at this Crusaders franchise, and they, they're just able to change. Everybody's interchangeable. Even when they have to go deep into their squad, they still find a way. And I think it's pretty viable to have them in that sort of conversation. I, guy? I don't disagree, Justin. No, absolutely, mate. I think you're bang on. And, and you're, you're absolutely right. It was a fascinating game. And when you look at the Crusaders, it is their adaptability. And I was also thinking like it's easy after a final to look at some of the key players that are going to be missing, including the coach. But you've also got to look at some of the the, the, the uh, players that they um, brought on, like Sykes Martin. Like, where did he come from? And, you know, equally, uh, young Dominic Gardner. He came out. They all just seem to fit in seamlessly. They just fit into their roles and they get on with their job and they don't lose a beat. And that's the key to successful teams historically in the world. Hey, Steve, can I throw one back on you, mate? The Auckland MPC side from 1985 through to about 1996. You'd have to almost sort of consider them in the same mix, wouldn't you? I've got to have, got to have an Auckland thing here. I'm feeling neglected. <laughs> oh, 
I, I, I actually, I, I actually, yeah, they, they were a hell of a, they were a hell of a side. I mean, so they were almost untouchable in in their time. But you know, this Crusaders side, this Super Rugby is an international competition, and it's, it's good. Can I just quickly, before I go, mention a couple of players? Yeah. Who I thought went up in, in in their stakes last night. Um, first of all, to Mighty Williams, and and I'll take him as a Northland boy every day. Or if you played for Kitty Kitty High and then down to Whangarei Boys, and then at St. Kendigan. So he'll always be a, a Northland Boys, just in my eyes. Um, but his <laughs> skill level for, and mobility for 140 kgs is just out the gate. And his stakes went up again big time last night. But I also thought, I wasn't too sure about the Narawa selection, but boy, the more you see of him, his work rate, his, his, work rate, his power post-tackle, Man alive, he's he's going to put some serious pressure on, and Sean Stevenson, that one just still gets me. Okay, there's the issue with the defence, but man, his games there's a lot of similarities between him and James um, Lowe's, who everybody used to bemoan his tackling and his defence. But boy, what Sean brings to a team that big boot in international rugby, you're not going to see Super Rugby style type type of footy, and. Um, Boy, those those three guys, and and probably Jacobson as well. Even they got yellow carded. I think those four guys pretty much went up even more in my estimation last night. Yeah, well said, Steve. As always, mate. Lovely to have you on the program. Stephen Harris there, 11 minutes away from one. You're listening to the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. We'll take another break. Uh, we just sort of extended things in the first half an hour of this show. Justin Marsh alongside of me. Uh, Daryl Gibson on the programme, but we've got plenty to talk about too. And one of the big questions is these players that we saw step up, can they do it in the all-black environment? I include Richie Mawanga in it. We've already talked about Cody Taylor. Can they take the super rugby form into the all-black jersey? Because I think questions have been asked that that hasn't been the case over the last 18 months or so. Six minutes away from one o'clock, coming up after one, we continue the discussion. Justin Marshall alongside of me. Uh, just a text here for you, Justin. Hi, Marshy. I really enjoyed the game last night. The best two teams going at it for a full 80. Made it great watch for rugby fans. I thought, though, the Chiefs' discipline really hurt them. They were pushing the envelope right to the edge and were forcing the ref into the game. I like Sam Kane and his deserve all black, but he could not rein in his boys when it counted and it cost them ultimately. That comes from Andy. Yeah, look, Andy, some really good valid points. Uh, I, I certainly agree. I, I don't feel that the referee was bringing himself into the game. I think the the Chiefs and their ill discipline and the pressure that they, they were under um, forced them into having to make decisions that ultimately cost them. And I couldn't I couldn't agree more. It wasn't anything to do with the fact that the, he was picking on them. It was the, the pressure that they were under from the Crusaders and some of the desperation that they were showing was illegal and uh, and it ultimately cost them. Um, in terms of Sam Kane, um, I actually thought he had quite an industrious game last night. Uh, I, I wasn't by any means thinking that he was out of his depth. Uh, he he just couldn't, yeah, he couldn't sort of get on the same page. He, he looked like he was getting frustrated as a captain um, and I certainly feel that you know, as a, as a captain, you need to try and figure out a way out of a hole when, when you're in one. And, you know, quite possibly he couldn't do that last night. He couldn't quite figure out uh, why it was happening to them. We'll continue the discussion. Daryl Gibson on the programme after one. And lots to talk about too. We will start focusing on the rugby championship, the all-black team and what they face. 
Yeah, one o'clock. Um, Mark Watson alongside me, All Black and Crusader great, Justin Marshall. Uh, Justin, we've been celebrating yet again another victory by the Crusaders and the end of an era um, for Scott Robertson. Scott Robertson, is is it his technical nous that gets the job done? Or is it his technical nous and his quirkiness and his relatability um, his personality is has he got some skills that no one can replicate it's a combination what i think and what what the the ability razor has is he has the ability to find the best out of a player from week to week to week and make sure that nobody has lulls nobody uh switches off nobody's feeling like they're not motivated to get out of bed every day and be a crusader and he, he's very good at tapping into that. Now, how do I know that? You may ask. Like, obviously, I played with Razor. Um, but throughout the time that he's been coaching at the Crusaders, I've been in, I've seen his theming, uh, which, and people go, what does theming mean? It means it's the it's the theme for the year when the players get together and they look at what they how, what's going to galvanise them, what, what is their main motivation to get to their key objective, their goal. And everybody lives it, lives that creed. He's very good at creating that. But equally, he's he's also very aware of when significant weeks or significant games come around, how he can tap into that inner person and bring out the best of them. And he contacted me at the start of the week. Um, I won't say what it was because I don't feel that that's fair um, to, to, to him because it's a crusaders thing. But he said to me this Mate, this is our thing for the the week. This is something that that they do and that we have to counter. He said, "Can you just send us a short video?" And I did. And he he would have done that to a few um, old players, crusaders, significant people that he felt could deliver a message, correlate that into some form of video and messaging, and boom, there it okay. is. So that is part of what he does. That. I haven't seen any other coaches really do to that degree. Okay, so how does he get around and actually coach? Because we've had discussions in the past regarding Aaron Major, who Aaron says, look, I'd like to be a hands-on coach, but he's found himself in those head coaching roles having to manage all the other coaches and not maybe enough on the field. Yet I get the feeling, though, that uh, Scott Robertson is hands-on. Yeah, he very much is hands-on. And, and the key is, like, if you if you have the head role, if you if you are the coach, it's your responsibility for that team to function. If you're not functioning, then the team's not going to function. So if you want to get the boots on and put some of the um, macro managing of players onto a different onto a different person in a different area, and you deal with it when you need to, then do that. Um, I think Razor's got a, an incredible balance of he, he he has his management skills where he's got to look after the players. He has his quirky things that he does. He has his theming, but equally, he also thinks about the game and he has innovations and he has ideas. So he has the boots on as well. He's got the balance right. And that's the key. And and a coach has got to be happy as well. Coach doesn't want to turn up for work every week and go, oh, bloody hell, who have I got to deal with today? And when he goes to selection, he's got to go, right, eh? Who's going to come and knock my door down and not be happy and, you know, want to kick it open on the way, uh, kick it down on the way out? So he's got that balance right, and that's the, the the most important thing you can do as a coach. We now welcome in another Crusader great, another former All Black, Daryl Gibson. Daryl, good afternoon. Welcome. 
Hey, look, uh, I want to ask you this question. You've been in the coaching um, environment. How hard a job is it going to be for Rob Penny now coming in to replace Scott Robertson when he's been so successful? I always look at Manchester United. You didn't want to be the first coach in after Sir Alex Ferguson. You almost done a little bit of a hiding to nothing. Um, what are some of the challenges facing Rob? Yeah, well, he's you know, obviously coming in. He knows he knows the Canterbury way, Crusaders way, so he's already in an advantage. I think that's been well documented, you know, the um, promoting from within or within the, the sort of Canterbury family. So he'll be well versed in that. I think the other thing going for him is he's got a um, see a changing roster, a few big um, you know, notable departures. But he's got this whole wave of uh, new talent that's gonna sweep through, you know, Crusaders rugby that have just been on the fringes and you know, I think one of the things um, you know Master was talking earlier about Scott's, um, you know, strength. I think one of uh, his strengths that he's done incredibly well is his squad management and bringing those young players through. And I think, um, you know, Rob Penny's going to get the benefit of, of that, um, you know, as he starts his tenure. Yeah, totally agree, Gibbo. Um, look, at the end of the day, you've, you've still got some quality players, haven't you, if you're Rob Penny to deal with and, and, and that talent that's come through. Um, and, and the way that he's brought through the likes of Fergus Burke and, and you know, Dallas McLeod, you know, those guys are the Crusaders of the future. Um, speaking of the Crusaders uh, and the final, what what was your summary of the game? How did you see it? I, I just, what a fantastic game. It was quality, a quality game from the, the first kickoff. Um, you know, in particular, I thought the contacts from both teams at the breakdown, uh, Intense, you know, the intensity they brought to that um, collision zone. You know, it had everything: uh, the kick dueling, the uh, the skills of the players, um, and then what I, I heard you talk about earlier, Marshy. Um, what impressed me was the Crusaders came with a different strategy. You know, they'd obviously mm. thought about the two losses that they'd, you know, the Chiefs handsomely won uh, regular season, uh, and they. To their credit, and to Scott's credit as the leader, you know they've really outthought the Blues and have just beaten the Chiefs, you know, at um, Rugby Park, um, playing a different way. So um, all credit to them. Um, fantastic game. Dale, you work now sort of in that high performance space. I've had a couple of texts come in that maybe saying the Chiefs peaked maybe three or four weeks ago, struggled a little bit against the Reds, struggled a little bit against the Brumbies. Is there some merit in that? Crusaders losing to the Chiefs earlier in the season uh, a couple of times, but just sort of hitting their straps at the right time. Is, is, can, yeah. can we apply that sort of periodisation to this? Well, I think so. Obviously, what, what you saw in the Crusaders this season is they, they learnt through the whole season. You know, they had their struggles with injuries. They had to use lots of um, younger players, you know, squad players, um, but they learned every game. Um, and then you could just see that momentum building, you know, come for the quarter um, final time, um, a big step up against the Blues, you know, that belief was growing. Well, probably, for me, the last team that came into a, a final series with that sort of momentum was, I think, back to the Highlanders, um, you know, came out of nowhere, got some momentum, got some belief and, and went on. Um, and that's probably one of the real, real um, strengths of Scott. He got those players to believe that they could go to Hamilton and, and win. Um, you know, I'm sure he would have been pumping them full of motivation through that whole week. What, what were your thoughts? There's been, 
you know, obviously a, a little bit of feedback, uh, particularly coming out of Hamilton, as you'd expect, <laughs> about, uh, you know, some of the 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 penalties, uh, obviously the yellow cards. You know, do, do you feel that, that, that they were vindicated, that there was any reason why Ben O'Keefe would be picking on one team apart from another? Yeah, I, I definitely felt that, you know, the Chiefs, obviously looked at the, the Blues Crusaders game and they knew they had to turn up the heat and break down. You know, you yeah. can see that um, intensity from that, the, the first go. So, you know, when you come in with that intent, um, you know, you're going to play with risk. And I thought, um, you know, both teams really attacked the breakdown. And if we were, you know, getting really picky, you'd probably find a penalty in just about all those, um, those rucks. Just with the ferocity at which um, you know the players are entering that, that breakdown zone, um, you know I think we're always going to in close matches look for um, decisions that haven't gone our way. But on balance, you know I thought the, the referee kept the game flowing well. The ball was in play for a long period of time. You know it was exciting to watch. Um, you know everything that um, we love about our game, I thought was on show last night. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree, and I said that earlier. I feel that the the, the justification in it lies in the fact that the, it was the pressure the Crusaders were putting on the Chiefs in those areas that forced them into making uh, bad decisions, and the referee really was left with no choice eventually because of that pressure. Um, another thing we've spoken about, Gibbo, is individuals uh, in the game. Um, you know, obviously... Uh, there's been some omissions from the All Blacks, Stevenson, um, Jack Goodhue um, in one of your old positions. Uh, was there any a couple of key individuals out there that you noticed that only um, probably enhanced their reputation? Yeah, obviously Sean Stevenson springs to mind. You know, his early touches, fantastic. His kicking, I think, yeah. probably one of his most underrated sort of assets. But, you know, I was impressed just with the quality of the back three on both sides. Um, and the teams obviously who, who feature a fair bit back there. It's just the quality of the kicking, um, and and the to and fro nature of different times. The Crusaders would hold possession or they'd look for territory and, and so forth. So some really good decision making on, on show. Um, for me, in terms of performances, I thought um, you know the the senior Crusaders guys really stood up. Uh, I thought Scott Barrett had a, an incredible game. In terms of um, his work at the line-out, in terms of disrupting the, the Chiefs' um, line-out at critical times, his work right around the field, you know, his double effort. Um, and then Sam Whitelock, you know, again, um, just their experience to win tight games. I thought they managed the game well in the end period where you thought for all money, the Chiefs should close that game out at 20 to 15, and obviously with the difficulty they'll try, but... You definitely thought it was a chief game at that point. Okay, I want to um, ask this to both you and um, Justin, uh, Daryl. We've seen, and Justin and I touched on this earlier in the first hour, but Cody Taylor, how well he's played in Super Rugby this season. We've seen how well Richie Mwanga is, but I'm not sure that necessarily under Ian Foster we've seen them play to the same level. Um, how much of a challenge is it for Ian Foster and why perhaps players that play so well under a different coach in a different environment struggle in a new environment? 
question. I think, um, firstly, you know, Ian's got a job on to decide who is his number one player. You know, I think we've seen Moanga, Damien McKenzie's been incredibly impressive all year. So, and then, of course, you've got Bowden Barrett to add into that match. So, we're certainly well off. Um, in terms of bringing the best out of players, I think a lot of it has to do with the, the mindset of the style of rugby that um, you're asked to play. You know, I can think of numerous examples where, you know, you get inflated by the way um, a coach has asked you to play. And equally, you can be deflated. You know, I think my time when I went to, to England and Marshall would concur, you know, you kick and chase, um, carry the ball. You know. So for me, I definitely think um, that mentality that the coach brings to um, the philosophy and game style will go a long way to uh, getting the best of the player. Yeah, and I think that's the key, isn't it, for him? And, and also creating that environment. Like, there's no doubt that those guys have got smiles on their faces. If you look at their week, they have guys turning up in red morph shoots or whatever they're called and <laughs> running around the gym. And, you know, it's an environment that, that Razor and that whole coaching group um, make the players feel that they can express themselves on the field, that they won't be told off should they not be in the right position. And I think there's no doubt that some pl- players really thrive in that. And that's the real challenge for Ian Foster to get the best out of every individual. Um Gibbo, I really appreciate you coming on as always. Before we let you go, uh, obviously we've got to chat about um, what you've got coming up, which is with Fiji. Are you in Fiji at the moment? And um, what what's the lead up for you guys now uh, heading up uh, into uh, towards France? So I bumped into Glenn Jackson at the um, at the terminal uh, after the the Andrua game, and he said he was heading off to Fiji to work on his suntan, but equally there's some quite challenging games you guys have got coming up, haven't you? Yeah, no, we've got an excellent schedule um, for us. We'll see way next week, assemble uh, in Fiji for the PNC. So we play Tonga and Samoa. Um, and then head to Japan, play Japan and Japan. And then we're in a warm-up game against France and then warm-up game against England at Twickenham. Mm-hmm. And then we're into it. So we've got some really a great schedule, um, yeah, plenty of excitement about uh, getting on the road and, and getting the hands on the boys for you know next seven or eight weeks to see what we can do with them and put them in the best place to uh, meet Wales in that first game, which is um, going to be critical for us. Yeah, no, absolutely. Love the Fiji. Hey, look, Daryl, thank you again for taking your time out of a busy day and joining us here on the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Greatly appreciated. Cheers, goodbye. Uh, quarter past one. We are trying to get somebody out of the Crusaders. Um, clearly a lot going on at the airport at the moment. Um, we have put a request in. Hopefully someone w- will join us around about 1.30 within that team environment, celebrating yet again another Super Rugby victory. Mark Watson, Justin Marshall, you're listening to the Bunnies, rugby, uh, Bunnies Trade Rugby Run. We'll take a break. We'll come back with more. 20 minutes after one, you are listening to the Bunning, the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Mark Watson, All Black, and Crusader great Justin Marshall alongside of me. Uh, look, if you do want to phone the programme, 0800 150811 is the number. Justin, let's talk about the Rugby Championship. It starts in a couple of weeks. New Zealand are away to Argentina on the 9th. A week later, they will take on South Africa at Mount Smart Stadium here in Auckland. Two weeks after that, they will travel and play in Australia. What is the expectation on this All Black team? Um, how much room is there for experimentation considering that it feels like we still haven't got 
combinations locked in. Um, and this has sort of been going on for the last three years, knowing that a Rugby World Cup is coming up and combinations are important. Yeah, they are. Uh, but I, I put my stake in the ground last night uh, on TV where after the game I said when we started talking about the Rugby Championship, and I, and I believe this wholeheartedly, that this this is a Rugby Championship and a Bledisloe uh, that the All Blacks just have to approach in a mindset of winning everything and go to the Rugby World Cup with confidence. You know, we've got Australia twice, Argentina and South Africa twice, including the Twickenham game. And the mindset has got to be uh, to formulate um, a game plan, uh, to piece together uh, a really solid uh, starting 23 that are full of confidence and hit the ground running in France because it's going to hit them right in the face at Parc de France come September the 8th um, if, if we're not ready. So... I certainly feel that uh, they should by now, if I if I know the way the criteria works and I know that the, the system sort of um, is conducive to this, know what their starting 15 is going to be, believe it or not, um, because they will be formulating a game plan. They will be formulating uh, individuals around that game plan and combinations that they feel can go to go, go to these test matches and win them. So... Look, there is an opportunity to do a little bit of experimenting, possibly in the reserves. But what the you know what the hell would um, constantly change in the team between now and Rugby World Cup and throwing different combinations out there, um, not giving people enough time in the jersey do for us. I don't think it'll do anything for us. So I think we've got to approach it from that Argentinian game that that team, barring injury and the odd lack of form, just go through and just get stuck in and hit the and hit that. <laughs> tournament with confidence. Okay, Justin, I'm going to just run through the outside backs. Caleb Clark, Amoni Narewa, Lester Whanganuku, Mark Talia, Will Jordan, and I'm also going to um, clearly include in there Bowden Barrett. Who would you start at fullback and who do you think they'll start at fullback? It's uh, a good question. I, I think they've probably gravitated away from Geordie Barrett and, and Bowden Barrett, so you can rule the two Barretts out. Uh, it just depends on what they, they want to do in terms of attack. Now, if they want to show something different on attack than what we've shown in the last two years, where we have gone to Geordie and Bowden Barrett predominantly, I, I feel that they need to go for a McKenzie, uh, Stevenson, Will Jordan type player because they just bring something completely different than what we've seen in the past. Um, in terms of who I would start there, I'm not quite sure. Uh, I do feel that they probably will tend to trend towards using Damien McKenzie off the bench um, because he's just so dangerous. And when he's fresh, he can come on and either at either 10 or fullback, which then puts them in a difficult position of not picking a specialist on the bench at, at 10. Um, whether that whether Sean Stevenson being omitted uh, in the first instance will count against him, I would possibly think yes, because he wasn't in there, he wasn't being factored in, was he? So how could you possibly consider him mm. starting? So I'm probably going to say Will Jordan. Uh, if you were going to ask me and put my neck on the line, which you just quite clearly did, why? Well, <laughs> <I really appreciate. laughs> 
Hey, it's just, it's just, it's just an opinion, mate. You're not a selector. You're not going to be held accountable here. You're close to the game. Well, I think most people are on the same page anyway. Okay, so you're outside backs then. Caleb Clark, Amoni Narewa. I mean, I wouldn't have a problem starting him, even though it's the first time in the All Blacks. Mark Talia probably goes in as maybe the dead set certainty on one wing. Possibly. Again, it just depends on the way that the All Blacks want to play. Uh, if they if they can get into the mindset of allowing Lester Fyinganuku to play the way that he plays for the Crusaders, then he should be a shoo-in to start. But that doesn't mean that the way the Crusaders play, Ian Foster and the All Blacks want to play, where they have a winger that is in tight and he will pick and go from a ruck close to the line. He will take two to three defenders. Like Imagine him and Artie doing that five metres out from mm. the line. Mm. How many defenders would be on the ground? Because they're so hard to pull, pull to the ground. But yes, you lose a bit of your width because that player's not offering himself at times, not all the time, in his natural position. So it's about getting, I'm trying, I want to get my head around exactly what they've talked about and who they want to pick in those positions. Um, I don't necessarily feel that, that some of the players you just mentioned there are in good enough form. Read into that the way that you should. Um, and, and then it's about what they do with Rico. Uh, you know, I, I have... I've always said that I feel that we wouldn't be at all disadvantaged by him playing on the wing. He's got great experience. He's only 26. He's the fastest in the team. I don't know if he's quicker than Talia, but up until last year, he was the quickest in the side. Um, He knows how to play the position. He's a great finisher, and it gives us more options in the centres. But, you know, is that their mindset? I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure Ian Foster's not going to pick the back line I would. Yeah, oh, no, no, and no, I agree, but I, I'm with you. I think Rico Awani on one wing, I've got no problem with it, but we know that he's probably going to start at centre. So I guess the question mm. is then, in, in in your mindset then, it brings up the question of second 5'8", Geordie Barrett, Anton Lennart-Brown. Well, it does, and, and, and that again um, does depend on who you pick at centre um, because, you know, the, 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 key, the key thing is not picking uh, two like-for-like type players uh, because it's just too predictable. You know, the, the, the Nonu-Smith combination was great because there was one with the, the, just the raw power, the step, the ability for the offload, uh, the, when, when running when running hard lines, um, the ability to miss them out, which is obviously Nonu. And then you've got a centre who could be under pressure because the defence is jammed in, but had the ability to give himself time and space and distribute and set the back three alight. Now, you know, that that's what you've got to think about. If you go for Geordie, um, he just runs hard and direct. Uh, I don't feel that he's an awesome distributor. Uh, I feel that he's a good distributor and he's got a, he's got an offload. Um, post-contact, he's pretty good. Pre-contact, he's not got the skill set of a Anton Leonard-Brown, um, so to speak. So it's about what you asked me all the way, way back, which is, you know, formulating little units and combinations and and that's what they've got to get to what's our combination going to be and i feel when we had Harvey and anton leonard brown to try and give people an idea where i'm coming from because it might sound a bit muddled when we played anton leonard brown and david Harvey together they just they just didn't work because they're both kind of lateral distributor type players and they tried to use David Harvey then as a battering ram, and they tried to use the, the poor bugger against South Africa as a battering, <laughs> battering ram. And he was running into Delende and Andre Pollard and co, and um, Khaleesi, and he was getting absolutely walloped. Um, 
but that's not the way he plays. But they they need to get they needed to try and get a balance of making sure there was a carrier in there. So it's just it's just getting your head around exactly the way we want to play and what players fit into into that criteria. So who do you start? Um, I would probably go for Anton Leonard Brown. Yeah. Um, which which is pretty harsh to be fair because you know I would equally wouldn't be massively disappointed if if Jordy was to start there, but oh. that that's based on the fact I, I probably wouldn't be starting Rico at centre. I'd be starting him on the wing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but this is the great debate, isn't it? And it's a good debate to be having. It is. Um, look, first five eight, Richie Mawang is going to start, isn't he? The question is who backs him up. You would think so, uh, but but equally, um, I, I know that Fozzie's he is a big fan of Bowden Barrett. Um, he has had him under his uh, wing for a hell of a long time. Uh, he hasn't shown any consistency in pitching, uh, picking Richie Moonga, and I don't feel that that's unjustified because Richie hasn't exactly flourished in that environment and in the last couple of years. And under the game plan they've been playing, he's struggled a little bit. He, he's not the same player we saw last night and all year this year for the Crusaders uh, when he's in that all-black jersey. And so um, I think Fozzie knows that he can get a different type of player out of Bowden Barrett. Um, look, you ask me, I would say yes, but in my mind, knowing what I know, it, it, I, it wouldn't exactly knock me off my feet if he started Bowden because it just it just seems to be something that he doesn't dismiss because he feels he can get the best out of that player. And Aaron Smith, clearly a halfback. Yeah, the bench is the fascinating selection. You know, like if Aaron Smith was to fall over uh, in the first 10 minutes, you know, um, would you be confident of bringing Cam Roygaard on uh, given that he's played no test rugby? But yet in my mind, um, I was in that, I was in that position uh, where I, I had a coach that was confident enough that I could go out there and do the job and started me in a test match when I'd not played a test match before, you know, mm. and, and a really important one against France that we needed to win. And it was his last game as all-black coach, which is Laurie Maines. I, I, would, I, w- I would want to see that type of player in my mix because I feel it enhances their game plan and it makes us harder to defend. But you, bring, you take off Aaron Smith, you're pretty much getting a slightly different version of Aaron Smith with Finley Christie, is my point. 29 minutes away from two. Uh, you can find the programme on 0800 150 We'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll look at the forwards who I think probably picked themselves. I'm not sure the forward discussions is probably as um, ambiguous, perhaps, as picking a back line. I don't actually think I picked anyone anyway. What? I just <laughs> oh, no, I think... I, I, no, I, look, Reed, Reed, I, I can name your team. I can name your team. You've got Will, Jordan, you, you've got Will Jordan at fullback. You've got Lester Fyanganuka on one wing. I think it's quite clear you've got Rico Awani on the other. I'm not sure who you've got at centre. Um, maybe that's the one position we haven't sorted out just yet, but we certainly... I think we've got Anton Lennon. Anyway, mate, it's, it's, it's a great discussion, isn't it? And that's what it's all about. It's, it we're not picking the team, though, are we? It is 28 minutes away from 2 o'clock. 24 minutes away from 2 o'clock, we are talking all things rugby. Justin Marshall alongside of me, Mark Watson. Telephone numbers 0800 150 Mikey's phoned the programme. Hi, Mikey. Oh, g'day, guys. How are you going? Good, thank you. Hey, um, good, good. Um, I partied very hard last night after a fantastic win by my Crusaders. I've got to say, um, after listening all last week of um, punters, 
sky punters and journos telling me why the Crusaders weren't going to win, it was immensely gratifying last night. In saying that, I thought the Chiefs brought incredible grit and determination, and if those two teams are basically stacking the All Blacks, then uh, I'm hopefully looking forward to uh, them putting that sort of effort against if we play France and um, and or Ireland. Um, the other thing, uh, what are you saying, that you're, you're almost mystified about why Stevenson wasn't picked as first up, we shouldn't really be surprised if Will Jordan was the best um, fullback, arguably, in the last couple of years anyway. Um, he never really started that position. So, you know, I guess it sort of speaks to Foz's mentality that he's not going to pick um, a form fullback um, in that position. Yeah, look, it's it's a good observation. Um, look, yeah, it's just mystifying, isn't it? I mean, every All Black coach has certain players that they go to, whether the public agree or not, and there's always been those players. Um, I look at Storm and Norman Berryman under John Hart for a period of time. I don't think Ronnie Clark played as many tests as he possibly could have, and there's been a whole history. You go back to uh, Dwayne Monkley, who was never an All Black um, back in the day in the early 1990s, and but this one is just head-scratching. When you look at the depth of New Zealand rugby, you, you saw the benefits of the Christian Cullens and those type of players and the attacking flair he brought and Stevenson just yeah he just looks like such a beautifully balanced player mm. Can I ask Mikey, a question of Justin? Oh sorry yeah, go on, carry Justin, on. You go. Yeah I was just going to ask oh, you Mikey like you, you said that you heard uh, everybody trying to convince you that the Crusaders um, weren't going to be able to get the job done like we, when you were watching the game and you did say correctly that it was a gritty Chiefs performance where do you feel when you were watching it that ultimately across the balance of the 80 minutes, where, where did the Crusaders win this game? Do you know what? I, I must admit I was nervous and, and justifiably so because the Chiefs have been fantastic this year. Um, but the first 10 minutes convinced me that we were going to do it. Um, even when we were behind, and admittedly the pub was got a bit quiet, <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> It convinced me that uh, we we were going to have the grit and determination and the nous, I think, more than anything. I mean, it's quite incredible compared to last year, the amount of penalties we got last year, the Crusaders, and we've been quite very well disciplined this year. Um, and I think that's been a bit of a standout um, for me. Um, and that's going to be like when we go to the World Cup, the same thing's going to have to be the same, eh? We have to be very, very disciplined, especially if we've got Northern Hemisphere refs. Um, so for me, that was the standout. Um, question I have for you, Justin, though, is uh, how proud are you, mate? Oh, look, I, I'm, I'm really proud. Uh, you know, I know the culture well, and I, I was a bit like you. Uh, I, I didn't go there not not confident that they could get the job done. I was, I was a little bit weary whether or not they could get to the intensity they got to the week before because that was just such an incredible performance uh, that... They were going to be up against a, a better side with the greatest respect to the Blues who didn't turn up. So I was just, you know, questioning in my own mind, you know, can can Razor, can those leaders, can they get to, to that uh, type of performance again? Because they're going to need to. And uh, and when they did, and I saw some of the efforts on defence, the little parts of the game that people don't pay a lot of attention in, but, I, but you do as a Crusader, the amount of times that players get up after making a tactical, get up again, the amount of times when there's a, an aimless kick, but yet there's seven or eight ch uh, chasers just working hard to make sure that they turn the kick into a positive. You know, all those sort of small little things, they make me proud because they're the, they're the parts of the culture that 
make it exist. They, they, they make that team click and gel. And the fact that that still lived within that current environment, which is very evident, that's, that's what, um, you know, uh, makes me feel the best about uh, the way that this team is functioning and, and the result that they got, the one they deserved. Hey, Mikey, lovely to have you on the programme. Great call and congratulations to you and all Crusaders fans. And, um, yeah, what a wonderful dynasty. Uh, let's go to David. Hi, David. Hi, Mark. How are you? Good, thanks. Um, question for Justin. Oh, well, for both, really. Um I don't have a uh, television in the house, but it doesn't mean I miss a game. But um, And I'm a fan of Brute Power and what, um, Lester Fionuku, is it? What he can do. Yep. But it sounded to me last night like the, like the Chiefs had him pretty well contained. Is that the way it played out or not? You know what, mate? You've, you've actually made a good point. Uh they, they did actually restrict him. But you know what the thing about the way that Whanganuku is playing at the moment is? Uh, I think probably in that game, he at least got three clear turnovers. Uh, he definitely got okay. the last one. And, you know, that that's the key to being a, a good player. When you get your time and space negated and double, you get double teamed because defence works out or the opposition work out that you're a threat and you're a big part of the attack is finding your way into the game in another way. And the fact that he was able to do that without having the freedom he usually gets really impressed me that he's mature enough to go, okay, they're on me. Um, I haven't got the space, but this is how I'm going to still keep myself in the game and involved. And that, that was something that I was, um, you know, really impressed with his ability to adapt and adjust and still do really good things for the team. Yeah. The other things you don't, like you don't see or or don't hear on you know I like um, mm. Elliot and that but uh, so yeah. are you saying he's similar to Sevo Reese and that uh, that he goes looking for work or yeah 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 that's a really good way to say it he's a different body structure and type than than what Sevo Reese is but when Sevo was playing well and is playing well he's he's allowed to roam he moves uh, quite often from one wing to another he gravitates around the ball um, and. Yeah, I absolutely feel that probably there's there's been very much uh, a lot of learn uh, learning going on um, from Lester Foying Anuku, the way Sevi Race played and thought, you know what, I think I could play that way and it could really benefit me because he's just grown instrumentally over the last two years. Hey, thank you, um, David. Lovely to have you on the program. 0800 150811 is the number. You text us here on 8833. Plenty of texts. If I don't get through them before 2, I'll certainly address them after 2 o'clock. Hi, Bruce. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Pleasure to talk to you again. Um, hell of a battle last night. Um, just a discussion, a question for you. How legal is the goal line defence um, that, that, that goes on relative to last night's game, relative to, to other games where players are diving to score a try and for some reason, somehow they're... They can't quite make it. There's bodies in the way, there's arms in the way, they're held up apparently. There's, it just seems to me it's a, it's a pretty complicated, jumbled area and I'm not sure that the actual rules, how much of it is totally legal. Your thoughts? Yeah, yeah it's messy. You are right. Uh, and I think I think it actually works both ways. I feel at times some of the 
the desperation of defenders, they they are sort of coming in on an angle. They're well, they're coming they're in. With, they're coming in with no arms either. Yeah, that's right. And uh, and equally, I feel you know players are so hard to stop when they're that close to the line. Like you, you now can't sort of try and you've got to be very accurate to get underneath them because of the head contact situation. You know, because that's where you want to go. You want to get in front of them and try and stop. But if you get a four four on them to the head or anything, a knee to the head or anything like that, you're you're going to wear it from the the TMO, uh, you know, I don't know how they tidy it up, to be perfectly honest, because, you know, teams, when they get that close, that metre, half a metre out, you, you kind of get the sense of inevitability that unless the other team infringes um, or does something spectacular on defence, that eventually some big lump of a player is just going to go over with momentum. Um, it's not pretty to watch. Um, I don't know how we can fix it, but it'd be nice if we could make it a bit clearer. Yeah. Yeah, comments, All right, Bruce. Um, hey, yeah, sorry, lovely to have you on the program, Bruce, and congratulations. Another 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 Cantabrian, another one celebrating, another one jumping up and down, and you're entitled to. Frustrating sitting here as a blues fan, but hey, love it, love it. That's the reason why other teams now have to lift. They can learn a lot from the Crusaders. We'll take a break. It is 14 minutes away from two. You are listening to the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Mark Watson alongside of me, All Black. Great Crusaders, great Justin Marshall. You've been working, we've been working with Jack for Crusaders Media to get somebody on the programme. You can imagine down there, uh, airport, waiting for them, two aeroplanes that they are on. And so we uh, hopefully might get somebody out of the Crusaders even between two and four. Yeah, look, I had a thought on that when you mentioned it earlier. It's not actually about getting somebody, because I've been in this position, out of the Crusaders to get the time to come on the show. It's actually about someone coming out of the Crusaders that it can actually make sense on the show. <laughs> that, that, that's, the, that's the challenge. Like, I, know, I remember when we were coming yeah. through uh, after the finals when we played away or even on the mornings, you know, there might have been a parade happening or whatever. And the media guy's running around and he's going, are you keen to talk to the TV? Are you keen to talk to the radio? And literally everybody's running for cover, trying to hide under yeah. a table. Or yeah, can, we just breath test, can we just breath test you before you do go on, however, please? Exactly. Yeah. It'll just be like, oh, yeah. oh. Uh, we've seen, we, we saw it with Jack, we saw it with Jack Grealish in Manchester City and the party he had for about three days yeah. after winning the Champions League. Uh, let's go to the phones. Hi, Murray. How are you, gents, today? Good, thank you. 35 degrees in Christchurch, can't go out sun, outside sun, so bright. Double glasses on. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, hey, look, uh, Justin, you, you said just a wee while a couple of callers ago about, um, you asked one of the callers what his feeling was, and it was interesting for us because we're a group of four that watch every week. And, of course, we were nervous, and uh, half-time we were happy to have our noses in front, but... The big picture, looking at the game itself, um, the momentum swung straight after the break. And, you know, that brilliant try, I, I don't think a Crusader got a hands on him before he got in the corner. And then there was a series of penalties. And I think it ran from the 40th to about the 53rd minute where the Chiefs had the ascendancy. Then there was that pass, um, obviously, McKenzie running through. Um, and I think we all looked at each other and said, that's the critical point for the game. Um, then... I think was it around the 70th minute when the Crusaders finally went over and got the got the try. Um, yeah. From then on, um, obviously, 10 minutes in rugby is a long time, and we were still nervous, but very, 
very happy that we were in front. Uh, we did think that we were worried about a penalty, and when that uh, McKenzie was taking that penalty, obviously that was a concern because the clock was under five minutes, I think, then. But we, we all collectively thought it was going to do exactly what it did. It was just, just going to be a bit too far. It was going to fall short. But a couple of things there. The last 10 minutes went very quickly, and when we had them pinned, um, I was watching the clock, and I couldn't believe the time was ebbing away, and I started to think, shit, if, if they stay here, we're going to win this. And obviously, when we got the penalty, um, it took a wee while for it to dawn on us. This, this is the game. But I had mm. a look back this morning, and I noticed one thing, and this is critical. When they scored that second try that was disallowed, the, the, obviously, the crowd noise was massive. They were celebrating. They were celebrating like they'd won. Now, when the Crusaders scored in the 70th, they basically turned around, went back to halfway, waited for the kick. They knew they had 10 minutes to weather the storm. And the big picture of that is you've got to beat the opponent on the day. And I think all this hype that they had a great season, they've got to where they've got, I think the team's a little bit buy into that. And if you look at Brad Weber at post-game, he could be speak. And look, you can totally understand that. But I think it was the same with the Blues last year. They believe that they're going to win. But you've got to go on the park and beat these buggers, and they're so hard to beat. And I just think they got that momentum early in the second half, even when they didn't that try, I think they believed it. Now, I, I, you know how that, you say game slips away? I think it just ebbed away. And even for us watching it, it just sort of drained out of them. And I'm looking back this morning, I had another watch of the game, and, and, and my thoughts are there that yeah, they thought they had it won, and then kind of it just got away from them. And it goes back. You've got to beat them. You've got to grind them into the dirt if you want to beat those Crusaders. Otherwise, it's going to be time. Yeah, absolutely. You've got to win the battle with little mini battles within the game. And you're absolutely right. You know, that last 10 minutes, there's a sense of inevitability about it because they've absorbed a lot uh, and, and um, kept the Chiefs um, from from crossing or scoring or, or getting any points. But the thing that's really evident to me when I talk about, about battles within the game was that last four and a half, five minutes where the Chiefs tried everything. Um, but the Crusaders' defence literally pushed them back about 25 metres and eventually led to a penalty inside their own 22. That's a battle within a battle of the game where you just go, you guys have got the capability and the firepower to open us up from 80 metres but we're just going to keep getting up and keep knocking you over. Didn't commit anybody to the ruck. And those are the ones you have to win to win finals. Those little mini battles within the game. Murray, lovely to have you on the programme and good on you for supporting your team every week and congratulations on yet another Super Rugby victory. Well, that's pretty much another edition of the Bunnings Rugby, a Bunnings Trade Rugby run. Don't forget, Justin will be joining us tomorrow for a final edition of In the Red, where we celebrate all things Crusaders. Justin Marshall, as always, been an absolute privilege and a pleasure, my good man. Equally, it has uh, for me, Watto. Uh, thanks to everybody for joining us. Uh, it's been an incredibly successful and enjoyable Super Rugby campaign. Uh, and now we've got the All Blacks to look forward to. Um, and congratulations to the Crusaders. I know I'm a former Crusader, but it's not my environment or my team anymore. They've had a tough old year and they've uh, stood up to every challenge.